everyone. Thanks for joining us back at The Intersection, a podcast that brings you candid conversations with members of our community and leaders in our industry. Today, we're excited to share a conversation between our colleagues, Al Chiradana, Krista DeGuffroy, and Alicia Paraccia about the SEI Neurodiversity at Work program. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Al Chiradana, uh, host of the blog Front and Center, and today I'm joined by two lovely women I work with. Let me start with you, Krista. Could you introduce yourself, please? Sure. I'm Krista DeGuffroy. I'm the Director of Inclusion and Compliance here at SEI, and I'm one of our co-leaders of Autism at Work. Fantastic. Thank you. And Alicia, how about you? I'm Alicia Paraccia, and I work on our service excellence team in our private banking market unit, as well as the other co-leader of Autism at Work. So I thought maybe we would just start out with an introduction by each of you and sort of quick little tidbit on your role in the Neurodiversity Project, and then we'll jump into some questions and comments. Sound fair? That yep. works. All right. You guys pick who goes first. Alicia. Okay. All right. I'm going to go first. Okay. So um, I began my journey with neurodiversity uh, when John Fisher tapped me to join a random meeting. I didn't have much background on it. He told me about five minutes before what it was, um, and Walter was out. So (laughs) that's why I got tapped. So um, I was brought into that meeting, and it was us various people at SEI, you were in the meeting, I think, sitting down with Hilltop to talk about what might a neurodiversity internship look like. Can we take some of their alumni in some capacity over the summer um, to experience working at SEI with hopes of, you know, future uh, opportunity? So that was pretty pretty early into the planning. It had been going on for a while, but it seemed like it was about when we were going to start taking action. Like, what is this really going to look like? So from there, um, my involvement at that point was just that Walter and my team was taking an intern. John Fisher and Walter raised their hand to take uh, a neurodiverse intern. So we started to figure out what that looked like. And I ended up managing not one, but two interns. So we ended up, Chris will probably talk more to that. We ended up taking uh, twice as many as we expected to, or originally planned to. Um, So we had two interns that worked on the service excellence team for that first summer in our pilot program. And ever since that program was successful, Krista asked me if I would be her business partner in co-directing this autism at work uh, program. And since then, we've deemed ourselves co-directors of Autism at Work at SCI. It's a wonderful thing just to give yourself your own titles. <laughs> if you could give me a title, that would be fantastic. I'll give you one. Yeah. I don't know if you want it. It's but not, <laughs> This is all being recorded, so be careful. Um, Chris, why don't you give us a step back and just talk a little bit about what is neurodiversity, what sparked your interest in it, and how did it lead to this piece on autism? So, I mean, neurodiversity is certainly a a spectrum of the way that people think. So there's a wide variety of diagnoses that fall into there. Autism just happens to be one of the largest, most prevalent, but there's ADHD, there's um, Asperger's, there's certainly dyslexia, essentially just different ways of thinking than the neurotypical. I'm a parent of a child on the spectrum. So I have an eight-year-old son who's very high functioning, but when we first started talking about this neurodiversity program, it was not even in the realm of, hey, I could be impacting the way that the future looks for my child. 
but it was more about how do we create more on-ramps and more pathways of opportunity to help those that are traditionally not within the financial services and technology market get into and sustain growth within that market. So when we had an existing relationship with Hilltop Prep from SEI Cares, we just realized this isn't just about philanthropic work that we're doing here. There's a real uh, talent opportunity. So we decided that let's commit. Alicia mentioned we thought we'd commit to two interns and we couldn't narrow it down to two. So we ended up taking four. And that's really been the birthplace of autism at work for us um, is working with the early collegiate career on through to their first or second opportunity post-graduation from college. So one of the things you just said that was interesting is uh, it was an interesting creating an on-ramp for these individuals and then keeping them engaged. And I mean, I think one of the things that touches my heart is anytime, regardless of whether it's neurodiverse or not, providing personal growth for people. But then you switched like halfway through that conversation. You put a talent angle in that. So as it relates to SEI, how, how do you see this playing into SEI's talent management? So I, what I think about... AAW, or we're, we're kind of kicking around broadening this to neurodiversity at work, so it would be NDAW, is it the concept of working with non-neurotypical people forces us to think more about our communication, our development, our pathing for everybody, not just the neurodiverse. It forces us to think more about communication and expectation, as well as delivery and follow-through. It forces us to think differently in terms of innovation. We're bringing together more solutions to the table. And we're also thinking about interpersonal relationships because some of the things that the neurotypical may take for granted in terms of social situations, they may look very differently with the neurodiverse. Doesn't mean that that talent isn't as good or as equal or as accessible. It just may look differently. And that forces us to retrain ourselves on what the word talent really means. Mm -hmm. Anything to add, Alicia? I would just like to add... um in the hiring process, so a lot of the time, uh, neurodiverse people, especially um, people with autism, they're kind of screened out throughout the hiring process. So part of our long-term goal, as, as is the goal of the entire Neurodiversity at Work initiative, um, is to kind of just make general hiring and across-the-board general business practice inclusive of everyone. Mm-hmm rather than screening them out. It's so interesting just to hear you guys talk about that. So I think what started out like a random meeting for you became a very deliberate exercise for the both of you. What do you think you learned through this process? Like if I were to say to you, what are the one or two things you learned during this journey? So far, we I realized, as you're saying, I love the idea that we're thinking about broadening it from autism to neurodiversity in total. I think that's smart. But what do you think you learned? It, it can be about yourself or about SEI or about the students. I learned, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind for me is because I directly managed some of the people through our program and still do. And I learned that as somebody who likes black and white instruction, I can't even give very good black and white direction to people that come through our program. Uh, So I just learned how gray the world most of us are so comfortable living in really is. And it takes real reflection and intention to give direction that can be understood 
easily um, to people on the spectrum, which is my main experience at this point, uh, and how beneficial that would be if we all could learn to communicate like that and how more efficient everything would run if everybody had the experience to learn to think more directly and concisely. Such an interesting point, too, is that we're talking about a segment. We're talking about neurodiversity, but your lessons are broad in their appeal. I mean, your three things that you said in that communication, how important that is. And it takes sometimes a deliberate act like this for us to actually reflect on how we communicate because just assuming that it's going to work didn't work here. So you had to be a little more deliberate about that. I think that's Mm -hmm. a fantastic lesson. And I think sometimes I'd be interested to hear how you feel. Both of you use the word inclusion. How does that represent itself in this type of situation? So I get it that we don't typically recruit these types of individuals and now we did. So I can see them included, but it seemed like it was deeper to you that the meaning of inclusion was broader than just putting someone into the mix that hadn't been there before. I can take a stab at this. I think for me, when I think about the neurodiversity initiatives that, you know, we're starting to see pop up with other companies more, which I think is in incredibly indicative of this movement that it's more about talent versus doing something for corporate social responsibility or just you know, a nice charitable action to have is that it's not about just finding people and saying, congratulations, we need you to adapt to our culture. And it's not about being a cultural fit, but it's really about being a cultural contributor and what you're adding to the mix and what you're adding to, you know, SEI, we've had 51 years of success. And I'm excited to see what the next 51 years looks like by including more of our neurodiverse population and asking them to contribute to the conversation versus adapting to the conversation. Yeah, such a that's such a wonderful thing. I, I mean, the word just cultural contributor puts the onus on us, mm-hmm. not on the individual. And I think that would apply to any employee creating a platform where employees can speak openly, honestly, transparently, and in the voice that they're accustomed to speaking in. And I think that's a really powerful thing for us beyond this program. You you use the word. This was the second time you said it. And I'm really interested in it. Do you see neurodiversity a program like that? as a competitive advantage to the war for talent. So as we start to think about all the different things that relate to talent, you read article after article is, you know, of the 10 jobs we're going to have in 10 years, only one, we'll only have one person to fill those 10. We're going to be short of talent. Do you see this as an opportunity for us to rethink what we mean by talent? How do you see that playing in? I do. So I think Oftentimes in the world, neurodiversity too, there's also this the stigma that the neurodiverse are only going to be geared for technology jobs or processing jobs or automated jobs, things that are fast and repetitive. And what we're finding here is that through AAW, through neurodiversity at work, we're finding people who just think differently, who are willing to challenge your process and to take a stab at creating something better, not because it's going to make them look better, get a promotion, get a raise, do something the only real goal of trying to change the process is to make something better for users. And when we have not only this drive to do better and to perform better and to have something impact our teams, it's not just about me as the individual, right? And I'm not saying that everybody on the spectrum or everyone who's neurodiverse has that same thrive, but we're seeing that pretty consistently, that it's about improving experience versus improving 
my experience and my role in my growth. I would also like to add that as far as the talent competition goes between us and maybe our competitors, at this point um, in the neurodiversity at work world, we're all working together to place the amount of talent we have. And when we say talent, it truly is talent. So there are more people that are trained and ready to go to take jobs in these companies. They're just waiting for the openings. And these people are incredible (laughs) and talented. Um, So at this point, we're working closely with some of our competitors in the business world, but working together to try to place all these people. Like we're saying, you know, we had this person come through our program. We don't have a spot for them right now. What do you have? And vice versa. That's interesting uh, because what you're saying is maybe you're looking at the talent problem incorrectly and there's actually a supply of talent that you haven't considered, which makes you feel like there's a talent shortage. Mm -hmm. And part of it is creating this on-ramp for new talent. And that's, I think that's a powerful thing. If, if in fact other companies are willing to collaborate on that, then it's more than just a hunch really. So we're part of the Eastern Coast group, right? The East Coast chapter of neurodiversity. Um, And what's interesting is I just came back from Jupiter, Florida, the Autism at Work Summit. And one of the main focuses why this small group of outside of Philadelphia is working collaboratively to change the perception of work opportunities for those on the spectrum or those that are neurodiverse. I mean, the recent statistic is up to 85% of adults are either adults on the spectrum are unemployed or underemployed. So they may have they may have a retail job, they may have a part-time job, but the the realization is they're not working to their full potential. And it's through programs like ours and programs like SAP and EY and Vertex that we're tapping into potential. We're really investing in what we like to say is the full spectrum of ability instead of assuming that if you don't hit these four bullets on a job description, you're not going to be a fit. Mm. It maybe takes a little bit more time, more deliberate question and rethinking about what a professional looks like but we're seeing the results and if that means that we invest more time in the beginning for long-term output why not Mm. so much i mean just that last comment it's the difference and i and i believe this by the way that the future for individuals whether on the neurodiverse spectrum or not is about employability not employment so when you take that shot it fits very nicely in what you said you're not looking at a job description trying to have someone fit a job, you're looking at an individual's potential and their ability to contribute. Can you ladies share for us how, how that came out in this process? Did we see that with the interns? Did we see it more about the potential of an individual and then moving them into a spot that they could contribute versus having a job for someone and seeing if they fit the criteria? I would say yes. I mean, throughout our hiring process for the pilot program, we had a lot of opportunity to interact with the people looking for employment, and we were able to kind of get a feel for their ability uh, and make sure that we placed them in a role where they could use those abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we did pretty well for the most part with that pilot program. And then, of course, the people we have on full-time now, um, they, they pretty much stayed within the same teams that they were interning with. So... That was a good fit in the end. Um, but uh, I think something that we've been, we haven't focused on it too much yet in our programs, but some of the other programs really focus on helping people looking for work work on a portfolio 
So not only having a resume, but having a portfolio. And that could be anything. So for coders, you know, it could be a program they built. It could even just be a PowerPoint presentation from something that some presentation they gave. Mm. Um, so they're trying to change the narrative and how people hire and not just looking at a resume and saying, hey, you know, maybe maybe my phone interview skills are not going to be that great, but take a look at this portfolio and this is what I can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that would also start to help change the narrative and how, you know, we're placing talent. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing for me to hear because what I take away from this is, are we thinking about how to secure and hire talent correctly? Or through this process, are we learning that there's a more human element to recruiting and maybe some of the efficiency we've applied to HR is actually backfiring? It's building bias into the situation. It's not helping us appreciate what are the individual talents that this person has to offer. And I'm just wondering, maybe we should reverse it. Maybe it should be about what are the capabilities of the individual. And then to your comment of cultural contribution, think about, okay, how would we use them? Versus I have a job and do you fit the criteria of filling it? Mm -hmm. So screening in. Yeah, exactly. Is that a screening in? Is that something that is very common in? It's a word we hear thrown around or used. Thrown around is loose, but, you know, we hear that used. So saying, you know, can you do the job? Okay. Now we're going to interview you for it rather than. It's not. I, I think the premise that we look at in neurodiversity at work and autism at work is just because you've had maybe a role filled traditionally by a certain skill set or by a certain background, that doesn't mean that that's the only way. And there are some things that come innately to mm-hmm. a human being. There's other things that are learned on the job. And it doesn't mean that it looks the same to everybody. And I think we invest a lot in coaching and talent development. And a lot of what we do at Discovery Week, which is essentially an employment readiness boot camp for a week, where we work pretty intensively with students for about 40 hours. And it's less about your skills because your skills got you here, but it's more about the things that allow you to interact with your peers and show those, those soft skills that every team requires, like collaboration and teamwork. Does it look the same to everybody? Absolutely not. But by by focusing on that, it allows their skills to shine that much brighter because they're able to work within a team and to be able to say, this is something that you know, Alicia and I did together. And here's what we were able to come up with. Here's how I tapped into my talents and she tapped into hers, which doesn't necessarily come easy to a lot of our students. Um, so it's something that we actually have to teach in terms of working collaboratively or working with a team. Mm-hmm. You said something earlier. And as you're describing this, it just made me think about it. I don't think any employee should be forced to adapt to the culture. Like if we truly wanted diverse perspectives, we should have a culture that adapts to the individual in excluding morality legal stuff you know you got to have some <laughs> limits, yeah, draw the line yeah, somewhere. somewhere there has to be a boundary but um as you think about this and you look at not what it meant to the individual that we placed but what it meant to the managers interacting with them how did we coach them train them did we coach them train them because i think sometimes the culture will take over we will just assume this is another hire. And for the last hundred hires, I did this. So I must do this for the hundred and first. And what did we experience? What did we learn through that process? I think it's often to be human, right? 
if you have a hundred hires and you've been doing things a hundred the same ways, you kind of turn into more of a robotic process and less about how do you as an individual learn? So that's one of the first things we focus on is about getting to know the person. They'll come to Alicia and I and say, well, how do I work with somebody on the spectrum? There's no playbook. There's every each one. If you've met one person on the spectrum, congratulations. You have met one person on the spectrum. Everyone is different. And we lead with people first. Yep. Yeah, I'll say all you can do and our main um, suggestion to them is just take it day by day and feel it out. And you have to adjust. So I think it just, like Krista said, forces them to be human again and kind of just pay attention to their human senses rather than just doing what they always did. They have to really start looking at not only this employee, but now all their other employees as individuals rather than my team and try to best accommodate each individual in the ways they need to be supported to do the best work they can do and I think it I don't know kind of helps you feel more engaged in all ways in all your surroundings Mm -hmm. to be forced out of your comfort zone I think too sometimes like we were just talking about this last week at the autism at work summit we are having a lot of times if there's an accommodation or, or a thing that changes for this neurodiverse individual maybe in your office they wear sunglasses because the lighting is not conducive to their working style Something as small as allowing somebody to wear sunglasses or to be able to get up and pace and you as the manager by embracing that, you're also sending the message to the rest of your team that it's okay to make the adaptations that allow you to be successful. Because that's really all that you have with a team is you have a group of individuals who feel that they can be their best self to be successful with. It's really interesting to me to think about how comfortable we are as leaders to actually let people be them their best self if we don't think their best self conforms to what we know or a policy we have there's a part of me that thinks part of this program's benefit is just to get us to step back and ask what is it like to be human at work because i think sometimes we rely i'll speak for myself on the crutches of policy and procedure to say this is the way to go and i think in doing that you're not in tune to what the individual actually is saying or actually needs. And in this process, it's almost like you can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me, when you say human, it's it says to me that you've got to pause first. Do you, did you guys experience that as you got, I mean, you went from a conversation that you didn't know you were invited to because a colleague was out of work <laughs> to being passionate about it. What? How did you learn through the process and what did you experience? Wow. Speaking in SEI uh, lingo, one of my top five strengths is learner. So Mm. I think for me, this was exciting. So, you know, I'm learning all the time for my work, work, work at work. Um, Mm. But for this, it was learning like a whole different side of my brain felt like it was learning throughout this um, process. So for me, I was just constantly constantly just absorbing all the information whether it be like actual written information I was reading just everything anybody said in any of the meetings we had um, any visits we had with people throughout the program whether they be candidates for our programs or I know we had an occupational therapist in so I was kind of just tapped into my 
sponge-like ability mm. and absorbed everything I could. And then, of course, once the people were here, just kind of feeling it out, just kind of feeling out how, like I said, you really, it's almost like you're walking into a room blind. Mm-hmm. And you don't know, for me, I didn't know what was going to happen. I hadn't had much interaction with neurodiverse people or people on the spectrum. Um, so it's kind of like you're just feeling things out, just saying, okay, nope, that's not the right way to say this or, you know. Were you nervous? Not that nervous. <laughs> I don't look back on it and feel the nerves all over. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. I reflect on it emotionally, I don't feel nervous. Now, when you first, let's say the other side of your brain that you like to use, so yeah. you said you're challenging a different piece of your brain. On the other, what is the other side of your brain? Just so the rest of us know. Oh well, so what I'm paid to do at SEI <laughs> is um, like data analytics and more technology kind of work day to day. So we're on the service excellence team, so now, we're always you, trying to analyze data. Do you feel anxious when you get a new project as it relates to looking at data? Or do you feel confident and comfortable in that as well? I think it depends if we have the data or not. <laughs> so <laughs> you're wondering whether we have yeah. access. Yeah. Right. If I have the data, then no. Yeah. But if it means that we have to create or hone a new process mm-hmm. in order to get that data, it can be a little bit scary, know, anxiety inducing. Yeah. yeah. What spurred you to bring this to SEI? So I had been thinking about Actually, I was looking at my uh, Outlook archives the other day, and I laughed because I found this original folder that I had created back in 2016 saying, I'm going to create the SEI Abilities Program. And what I really wanted to do was kind of change the narrative about what success looks like in financial services and technology. And at that point in time, I didn't have the ability to deploy such a program. And then when we found out we have this existing relationship with SEI CARES, and we had these students who were facing this problem where they were bright and wonderful and they had gone to college, but their social skills were impacting the ability to land an opportunity post-college. I just felt like this is something that I've been waiting to do and deploy. And that was the right time. And I wasn't going to let that opportunity pass by because it wasn't about something I wanted to do. But there were these students and families who who weren't being able to feel confident right? Like we talk about all the time that employment and dignity are very close together. And there's a lot of individuals who aren't able to secure employment. And it's easy to fall down that rabbit hole that I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. So we had a real chance to impact that. And I think in my role here, whenever there's something that I can do, that's not for the benefit of me, but benefit for a community. I don't think we have the luxury of saying no. It's interesting too. I mean, so much of what the two of you are sharing to me resonates across the board. And I have two girls that are dyslexic, so I can see just, as you said earlier, stigmas and labels and the difference between people understanding that this individual learns differently than is learning disabled. So that resonates. But what I find so so interesting in this conversation is how applicable what you're talking about is to everyone. So one of the things that I always say is... Doesn't everyone want to feel that they could be treated with dignity and respect? And how sad it is in some instances that it takes a situation like this for us to rethink that instead of saying, wait, no, how does that apply to everyone? You mentioned something, though. um, You mentioned a lot. Some will have to come back to Like, I love this idea of SEI abilities as a program. That's such a (laughs) 
catchy little thing. We'll have to save that for another podcast. <laughs> but I think one of the things that you see as the two of you are talking is how emotionally connected you are to the program, like smiling, laughing, how uh, deliberate your words are and the thoughts you're putting together before you speak. So you can see all of that and what it means to you. Would you share a little bit of what it was like, one, for the students? What, what, what did they share with you? What did they learn? What did they feel? And then secondly, what did it feel like for the parents of the children and what did they see? Because when you say the word community to me, I think we always think of the people that walk in the doors here at SEI. But the truth is the community is so much bigger than who walks in. It's who else supports who walks in. And can you share a little bit about how that has felt, what they have learned, the things that they're anxious and nervous about, et cetera? So there's this notion in neurodiversity at work, um, there's this kind of this line that we live by and with everything we do that there's nothing about us without us, meaning that Alicia and I, who are neurotypical, are not directing a program without consulting with our neurodiverse population. So every change we make, every program we roll out, we do so with the feedback of our students and our program participants, because that's that's not what this is about. When we're talking about community, it's not Alicia and I dictating what it looks like. It's constant feedback. Um, and I think some of that has come from our students in terms of what they've liked. There's always this concept of, do I disclose? Do I not disclose? How does that impact me? And we take a very positive approach to it. But we also leave the role of disclosure up to them. And I think that's been a key cornerstone of what we do is that we believe in the autonomy of the individuals. We're here to support and make a more equitable playing field, but it's up to them. And it's been life-changing for some of our students. Yeah, so somebody we have now in private banking, Callie. Um, Callie was one of the interns we had in our pilot program, and their mom emailed us, or emailed somebody that eventually got to us, about how the time at SCI for Callie was really life-changing, and Callie never thought feeling or she never thought they would be able to find a job that could challenge their technical skills, but also feel so welcoming and um, kind of also give uh, Callie an artistic outlet. So something not everybody in our area knows about Callie is that we have a nice new piece of art right above where marketing and myself sit that got there last summer because Callie said, yeah, what's the deal with all this art stuff? And figured, got involved in that right away and was able to pick a new art piece for our area because it was missing one. And um, that was, it was just really cool to see somebody come in and just feel immediately so welcome and at home. Mm. It was almost like Callie had found their their mm. place. Mm. And for, I, one of the things that we've, we have, I think that's one of our lessons, right, is how involved the family is. And if you think about it, so I'm a parent of a child on the spectrum, mom and dad or parent involvement or family, whatever, is included in every aspect of that young learner's life. Everything, every meeting with teachers, etc. And even in college, they're still involved. But when they come to the place of work, it's all of a sudden this big break. And for a parent, that's anxiety producing. I can't imagine. So what we've built into our program for this year is a take your parent to work day, that's where awesome. we're inviting mom and dad and whoever that parent support group is or family support to come learn about who we are, who SEI is, what we're doing, and answer those questions about autism at work that maybe they're not getting from their child directly, but to just, you know, let them know 
this is about your child as an individual. We're here to support them, here to succeed, um, here to make them as successful as possible. But your young learner has now become a young adult in the workforce and also set those appropriate boundaries so that they can be independent and successful. Mm. Your last, both of your comments at the end there, just again, remind me of how important it is for us to question what we do and how we do it. Like, why is it that with certain neurodiverse issues, we haven't broken the ties of parents with their kids, but in other areas we have. And the question to me is, is that right? Meaning, is that just artificial? Is the fact that, isn't it true that every employee has a family? And what does that look like? What if all employees got to bring parent to work or sibling to work just to appreciate what it is they talk about, laugh about, cry about, complain about at home? It would just, to me, that just would be such a fresh perspective. Two last questions. Uh, one, how do you deal with this, the stigma? Like ha- people talk about a stigma and it's unfortunate that things carry labels and people have perceptions and but you've turned that misfortune into some level of fortune here in that you're saying, no, 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 that's not right. We can do something about it and let's put it into action. But how do you deal with it? How did you deal with it? I think some of it takes a lot of patience and perseverance because I don't think that the stigma comes out of a place of harm. I, I think some people mm. may have interacted with one or two people on the spectrum. And if you look at how the media portrays the neurodiverse, it's either um, you know, a, a mental health issue, or it's something like they're a savant, like they're Rain Man or, or Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. That's that's not how the spectrum usually plays out. Um, and I think in AAW or at neurodiversity at work is you start to become an ambassador to that there's a wide variety of what this looks like. And there's no autistic profile, right? There's It's people first. It's an individual who happens to be on the spectrum but it's not autism coming to work, right? It's Mm -hmm. Joe or John or Amy or whomever coming to work. And they're just learning differently because of this. I I don't know for you, for me, I I definitely do struggle sometimes with wanting to always change the perception of, of what that looks like. But you know, you take it one day at a time Mm -hmm. for me. I think that, and maybe it's because I have less of a personal connection to it. I don't know, but I'm very logical, so I try to tell myself when we have anybody engaged with us about autism at work, that's good. I don't care if they're saying bad things or why do you think you can do this? Why why would you think this is a good idea? They're engaged with us. So for now, mm. because we're in such the baby stages, any engagement is good engagement. It's an opportunity for us, which we take every time we can, to explain to them, like, you don't know what you don't know. So just hear us out. And it's going to be okay. And if you're not ready to be involved, that's okay too. Right, right. So we're early enough that we have the luxury of taking all of those opportunities while we're building the program. I think as we get down the road and we're doing more, we have more programs that can be open to, you know, criticism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is when we're really going to be challenged in those ways. You know, we'll have to take a step back and say, are we doing this the right way? Mm-hmm. Are they right? Do you know? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you're right. If you took a, the ne- the negative connotation away from an idea like stigma, you would say identity, mm-hmm. and people would feel better about that because they have things that they identify themselves with. And it seems like what the two of you are saying is, as ambassadors of it, 
you've dropped the judgment in any way and you focused on anyone who raises their hand and wants to learn, I'm going to educate. And then you're hoping, I think we all are, that the best of people shines through. That once they understand it, of course they get it. And they say, oh yeah, of course. I'm no different actually because I have idiosyncrasies that make me stand out as an individual versus others. And you're telling me we're gonna celebrate that. How could that be a bad thing? Mm-hmm. When you step back and think about the journey, what one or two results were each of you most proud of? Like, what is the, I know, and I know the journey is not finished, but at this stage, what are you most proud of? I'm proud of our community here. I mean, you're talking about the stigma, but I would say that the stigma is we're turning it around and people are raising their hands. They're, they're excited to be involved. Every opportunity we have, we have plenty of people raising their hand to help us. We have people in line on you know, a waiting list to take job shadows for our discovery weeks. Um, so it's, I, I'm proud at how excited people are here and how we've given people the opportunity to say, hey, well, we haven't had anybody disclose yet. Any, yeah. you ha- we have? Yeah. Oh, maybe to you, not to me. <laughs> anyway, we, we're giving people the comfort to say, hey, I'm, I'm different. Mm-hmm. Can I benefit from this? Mm-hmm. Or to say openly to their coworkers, hey, my, I have children that are different, and this is really exciting for me. Like, you know, come to this event or whatever, right? So it's just like you said, it's kind of removing stigma for people on the spectrum, but also for all neurodiverse or any different ability that anybody has. Mm. And I would say overall, the company seems to be embracing it. So we had a discovery week. Um, discovery weeks are those employment readiness boot camps I was talking about. We had a discovery week in June, and there was a gentleman there that we really liked. I, I, I desperately wanted to find him a home, but the timing just didn't work out. And I got to see him on Friday, and he's landed a full-time position with SAP. And for me, that was like the culmination of all the work that we've put in. It doesn't mean that it has to be here at SEI, that person that we've poured resources into lands, but that individual is now succeeding at another company through their autism at work program. And I just couldn't be prouder that we were able to be part of his journey. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I think I learned a lot as a participant in it, of course, and there's things I didn't know and how it worked. And there's small things you see like how important space actually is and thinking about what space looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, You said earlier about the sunglasses, like, you know, it doesn't sound like it's a big thing, but you realize, yes, in certain instances it is. And we make it bigger than it has to be because we're trying to prevent in some ways. And, and, oh, go ahead. I was going to, we throw words like accommodation onto it. When it's not a medical accommodation, it's just making somebody's job easier yeah. for them. If that means wearing sunglasses, if that means popping in earbuds, it doesn't need a medical accommodation. Yeah. It's just treating other people like humans first. Yeah, I think. Instead of seeing the bad in a situation, it's seeing the possible. Like, to me, it's so crazy. Like, why shouldn't you be able to wear sunglasses at work? Why can't you have headphones if you're not being rude and you're not in class? Like, it just seems, but I think sometimes we're so caught up in the world that we grew up in that those things that are so odd to someone else seem so normal to us. And what makes this process healthy to me is it causes us to just stop and ask, is that normal? Should we do that? Does it benefit anyone? 
And that to me is a great result no matter what. Mm-hmm. Clearly the program is doing things far greater than that. But I think after this conversation, the one thing that it makes me appreciate is it shows what family means at work in actions, not words. So a lot of people want to differentiate themselves based on their culture and culture is the way you treat people at work. And this truly makes a difference for all of us in how we think about treating people. Thanks ladies. It's been awesome so far. I mean, I'll judge you later after I hear the recording. (laughs) No, No, I'm just kidding. It was great. Thanks for joining us again. To hear more from Al Ciardana and his team, make sure to check out and subscribe to the Front and Center blog on SEIC.com. Stay tuned for more conversations with members of our community. Until next time, be well. And of course, we hope you'll meet us back at the intersection soon.